This morning we get to go back uh, after a long time. We've been looking from the life of Christ and gleaning and seeing little things that we can learn. And this morning we have the joy to uh, take the time and go back to Ecclesiastes. And it's really Ecclesiastes is an encouragement for the things that we see and that we face uh, today. And so um, the wording can be difficult, and that is the, the blessing of being able to study some of those, the wording and what we would call Hebrewisms. Those are like Hebrew phrases and how they impact um, the things. And so we'll look at a few of those. And when I bring up the Hebrew words and, or the Greek words of things or the definition, it's not uh, so that way we're smarter. It's just so that way we can understand better what God is saying. And it makes it a little bit clearer. And so that's the goal. It's not to show how smart, because the reality is, is I'm, I'm dumb. I have to study it myself. So then that way, I can't just read the Hebrew. Now, the Greek is a little easier. I, I, I see Greek, and I see the patterns there. But Hebrew, I don't know. It's just, it looks kind of like music on a piece of paper to me. Um, and I haven't figured out all the black and, and white dots and where they all go. But uh, that's why we need good teachers like Marianne <laughs> to remind us, <laughs> where are all those notes? So that's why I like chords. That's why playing bass is a lot easier for me. <laughs> so anyway, but Ecclesiastes is like that. It's like sometimes we read all of these thoughts and what does it really mean? And so we're going to basically look at the intent and the point of Ecclesiastes 6, verse 10 through 12. But this morning we'll look at verses 1 through 12, um, basically the whole chapter, and, and we'll get to the main point. And I hope that it, it speaks to our hearts and gives us an understanding of the times in which we live and help us basically to trust the Lord more. I'm going to give you a caveat as before we read. When we talk about the sovereignty of God or that God is above all things or in control of all things, some people take it and they say, well, if God is in control of all things, I don't need to do, I, I don't need any medicine, I don't need any, I don't need to do anything. I can just, I'm just going to trust the Lord, I'm going to sit and I don't, I'm not going to, God did give us wisdom and he gave us discernment and how to use knowledge and he gave us all those things. So when I talk about God's sovereignty, I'm not preaching to you that um, I don't need to do anything because God will take care of me. The truth is God will take care of me, and he does give me wisdom on how to take care of me, like not play around in ditches because my foot and my back hurt. Uh, I'm trying to learn that wisdom, and, and, and uh, he gives us wisdom of things not to do in order to be healthy. That's why he gave me Donald to sit there and say, what are you doing with your body? <laughs> so he gives us wisdom, um, but it's not the world's wisdom. And so this morning we're looking at God's wisdom because of who God is. So we listen to his wisdom when we translate the things that are going on in the world. We don't listen to man's wisdom because they're not sovereign. They're not perfect. But we use God's wisdom, which helps us to interpret wisdom, knowledge and the things that we see going on in the world. So I'm not, it's not, so just a caveat as we go through this, don't 
don't take what we look at and see in God's word and make that say that, you know, um, you know, we will never take any medicine or we'll never do follow anything that the world says. Um, God does give us wisdom and how to interpret that. And we can do that well if we listen to the Lord. And so that's our thought for this morning as we go to his word. We want God to speak and not let our our desires and the human desires and culture of our society speak this morning. But let's listen to God and his holy word. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word it never fails, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, that it does everything that it intends to do according to your purpose. Lord, you have planned it. You have provided it. It's your purpose. It's your work. Help us to be attentive to hear. We have ears, but yet many times we don't hear. Help it to sink in that it would stir our hearts this morning, that your spirit might be um, teaching, getting us, giving us comfort, providing us contentment that you provide that might translate into joy and peace. Thank you for the fruit that you provide through your word and that is empowered through the Holy Spirit. May we glean from that this morning. Help us not to be wise in our own eyes, but yet, Lord, may our wisdom come from you. Thank you that you never change. We can trust you. Nothing in you changes. You are the same today and forever. So, Lord, that's why we look forward to your word this morning. May we worship you in this time. Help us, help me to speak clearly. Help us to understand your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes 6, we start off with wealth, possession, things. We're looking at the whole idea of where we find satisfaction or rest or peace or really contentment, which we see in Philippians 4. And he, the, the Solomon's going on and he's tested all these things and he's talking about how he tested all these different areas of life and yet he found nothing to be satisfying. And so that's kind of where we start and then we get to our text and he talks about the Lord. He says, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial I say that a stillborn child is better than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, does not all go to one place. Talking about death. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. For what advantage 
has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man over uh, who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with the one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is, it, it, what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, what, which is passing like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Starts off with some facts and he ends with a few questions. Verses 7 through 9 really sums up the end of chapter 5 and it sums up the first part of chapter 6. And that is there's this elusiveness in being satisfied. There's this elusiveness in finding rest. We can look for it in many different ways. We can look for it in work. We can look for it in family. We can look for it in all sorts of things even living long, we can try to prolong our life as long as we can, and yet we would still not be filled with complete contentment or satisfaction. Rest eludes us. And it's really the, the reality of what we see in the world. They're fighting to what they think would provide satisfaction. If, you know, and you notice that as we've looked at the last two years, how many times has what they believe, the world and our culture believe, would satisfy them? How many times has it changed? Sometimes weekly, sometimes daily. It's amazing. I hear a statement in the at night about what they, they believe will solve all of our problems. And then by the time I, I read the news in the morning, that's changed. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Because nothing that we are dealing with right now in society, it's, it's changed completely. It's not even, they said, remember they said, we're just going to flatten the curve and then we'll be fine, right? And that, that, that's never satisfied. Power never satisfies. Control never satisfies. Wealth never satisfies. We see all of these things, even... You know, if we get the majority of the people vaccinated, that doesn't even satisfy anymore. In fact, most doctors are telling, now we're tipping the scale. It's causing more problems than it's doing good. And so there's all these things. Nobody's satisfied in our society. Yet in verses, in our first part of the text, we see this elusiveness of satisfaction. This is exactly what we see in the world today. The reader comprehends that. He says, despite family, longevity, and fame, life may go wrong as it incurs lifelong dissatisfaction. And then no one's even mourned at their death. The reality is the majority of the world is not mourned at their death. There's great, that's not even, doesn't even satisfy the people that are left. Solomon is addressing, and he's already addressed in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 10, 
Now in chapter 6, there's this, uh, this lack of satisfaction in the life that we live. In fact, in verse 7, we see the term satisfied, or where we would get the word satisfaction. It's actually the word filled. It means that nothing, we are like this, we keep trying to fill it, but yet we have holes in the bottom of our feet. You know, have you ever been there with a bucket that you keep trying to fill with something and only to realize there's a crack at the bottom and it just leaks out? Yeah, we, we feed, we get, we get milk, we glean and get milk that they're going to throw out and we get it for our animals and, and our pigs just, I mean, they die for it. They'll just run you over to get to it. They know it. They smell it. And um, I don't know how they can smell it because they smell so bad, but <laughs> they, they smell it. They know the food, man, that nose works. And I remember filling up milk one day, and I just kept filling up. I'm like, because I know how much milk in my five-gallon bucket. I need, you know, this much milk to feed the pig. And, and it's like, I, it's, I'm like, I know I put a couple gallons in there. <laughs> and it's like, then I, and I'm not paying attention. I look down, and it's just running out. That's the way we live our life. We keep filling and filling and filling, but it, it can't be filled. God created our life to be filled by him and not by the things of the world. Now, he provided the things in the world to meet our needs, but not to fill us. That's the point that Solomon's trying to make and trying to turn us and look back at the Lord. In your introduction, you can write this down, and that that there's an elusiveness of satisfaction and rest in our world. And that's the point that he's trying to make that there is no filling of the world to, to satisfy you. We don't find rest. And there's this, there's, this great, there's this great struggle. We are living in a struggle, you and I. God is over here and the world is over here and there's these, these two masters and you can't appease both of them. Jesus said you'll either love one or you'll despise the other. Teenagers, kids... Really, a lot of times we struggle with church not because God doesn't, isn't any different or that God, God, it's like that we say, I remember as a kid, I was like, well, God is boring, man. Until I started listening to the missionary stories and I was like, man, they get persecuted all the time and they keep running back to the mission field. I said, man, if they love God that much and they're willing to endure that much, God must be real. And so I was drawn into missions and was drawn into serving the Lord. But teenagers, you guys, the reality is, is if you're struggling with being at church or serving the Lord or doing, reading the Bible, it's really because there are other desires that are pulling you away. You can't serve both. It's amazing when you give up and you say, you know what, I'm just going to love the Lord. All of a sudden, being around other Christians and helping them all of a sudden becomes fun. Adults, that's, that's the thing is, is when we compare and we say, you know, church would be better if we did this and this and this and we start comparing and we just, it'll, that never, those feelings never satisfy us because we're serving two masters. You notice it's amazing. The more that I've learned to love God and I have to keep just keeping there and, and when I'm struggling, I realized I started looking at the world more than I've looked at God. But I realized that the more that I've, I love the Lord, 
the more that I, I'm drawn away from the world. Things that I remember looking at a TV show and saying, I can't wait to show this show to my kids, right? Because I loved it as a kid. And, and I was thinking about it. And I watched, so we, we made this rule. We're going to watch things before I let our kids watch it, you know? And I turn on the show and I'm watching it. And Anissa and I looked at each other and we were like, no way. <laughs> our kids are not watching this. But my love for the Lord had changed or my disdain or my like, whoa, that's a little bit different. You know, I, I wanted to watch football and Anissa was like, we're never watching football and, or sports. You know, I, she was like anti-sports. I was all sports and I was like, but it's wholesome. <laughs> right? and, and if we watch the Seahawks, you know, it's always cold. So the cheerleaders always have clothes on. <laughs> and so I was like, and then I was like, oh, Jared needs to learn math. We can do math. You know, there's 10 and they, they go three and so three and they, how many yards they have to go, right? And it's on the TV. He can figure out the answers. So I, I found every excuse I can and we started watching TV. And so now I regret it because I created monsters. But, <laughs> but you know, I learned never satisfied because we compete. Our flesh, the world, is always in competition with the Spirit and with God. There's this elusiveness. And here's the point. The point is, when we get to verse 10, he's talking about God's sovereignty. And that sovereignty literally means, we, we talk about the sovereign or the king is always the sovereign one, we hear that. We understand the idea of a king. Well, God is the king of kings. He's the ultimate authority. That's the idea behind sovereignty. He's the, ulti- he's, he's the authority that's above all things. So when we talk about God's sovereignty, that time does not affect him because he's above all things. So he's outside of time. He's in control of all things. So it means that he's above all things. And so the reality is that God is above all things, therefore he is in control of all things. It's kind of an if and then statement. It's not really if God, because God is. It's God is, therefore he is in control. He knows all things. A lot of the, the attributes of God kind of flows out of this sovereign idea of who God is, and that he is sovereign. And we really struggle with that because of the world in which we live. It's like... We have God, and he's a sovereign of all things, but I want my donuts, right? I don't know, whatever it is for you. We have strong de- desires that go towards things. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, because of my things that the doctors are telling me and, and stuff, and you notice I've been moving a lot more. I've, it's amazing that I've been changing my diet because of my autoimmune disease, and my, my joints are starting to move again. It's kind of crazy. So I can't just eat all the donuts I want anymore. So I save it for that maple bar. And I, <laughs> so I get my one maple bar, right? So I'm not going to waste it on, on you know, the, those old fashions anymore. I want my thick maple glaze, you know, or my one cup of coffee. I find myself like I was going and, and uh, going to the butcher the, the other day. And as soon as I came in, he goes, oh, do you want a cup of coffee? Oh, that's right. You can't have one. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I didn't drink one this morning. So I can have a cup of coffee with you. He looked at me like, really? Uh, Yeah, I find myself, you know, changing all these things in my life. But we have these desires. We want, we want, we want. 
And we find that we say, yeah, God is sovereign, but we really struggle with that. And Solomon says, that's the point. And he, and he gives us this basic idea in verses 10 and 11. And that is this, that no person will find true meaning or fulfillment, that idea of being filled. We can't find fulfillment in life until we or he comes to admit and believe in the sovereignty of God. We need to admit it. Admit it means that we admit it and and we follow that idea in our life. That we, it, it changes us, that it controls us. The Bible, in no uncertain term, clarifies and affirms that God is totally and completely sovereign in every realm. There is no, there's no doctrine in all the Bible that is more calming and stabilizing than the doctrine of of God's sovereignty. You want to be calm and stability? You want to find those things in life? It's, it's the idea that God is in control. He is sovereign. And this is the idea that God either rules or he must be ruled. The idea is that if we don't put God as sovereign in our life, we try to rule him. We try to change things it's, it, you never see it more clearly when people look in the Bible and they try to use the Bible to, to basically defend all the lifestyle choices that they want to live in life. We see it all that going on right now. People are changing terms in the Bible to make it what they want. It's never been more clear. Like, so I took my, my sabbatical seriously when God hurt when I. When my foot got hurt and my back went all out of whack and my wife couldn't believe how much pain I was and chewed the doctor out and got me some medicine and said, fix him. And so I took that time and I read all the bestsellers on what's going on in our society. And I just kept underlining fact after fact. They even quoted parts of the Bible and said, well, this is really what it means. And they changed what the Bible was saying to fit their lifestyle choices. Either God rules or we try to rule him. God either does the swaying of our desires, he changes our desires, he sways our desires, or we determine to sway him. And sometimes we do that with our prayer life. I find the more I ask things for God from God and it's amazing how the more I spend time asking for things from God, how eventually sometimes I've noticed that the more I keep asking, 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 he actually changes me. Because God is sovereign, and what God wills, God does. Proverbs 16, 1 through 4 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answers of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. We think all my ways are right, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Live under God's sovereignty is what he's talking about. And he says in verse four, the Lord has made everything for its purpose and, when the, and the wicked for the day of trouble. 
Everything belongs to God, all the purposes. Man cannot be in a right frame of thinking until he begins to grasp the sovereignty of God. The idea, we've seen it, you know, we talk about the potter and the clay is in Isaiah. We see it in the Gospels about God, God is, you know, the potter and we are the clay. In 1 Corinthians, we talk about we are just these broken jars, but that God has put back together and put his very spirit, his precious gift, his treasure, he's put it into, our, into us. And yet, so we see that. And, and the reality is this, guys, when we think about the sovereignty of God, is that we are just mere clay. It gives a new meaning to the name mud, right? <laughs> you know, the idea, you want it to be named mud? You know, we'd say that, you know, hey, I, we tell our kids, you know you're going to be mud if you do that. Mom's going to get you, <laughs> right? And, uh, but we are the clay. God is the potter. His purpose reigns supreme. We are the creatures. God is the creator. But yet, don't you see how much of our society as the creation is trying to control the creator? Why do you think there's so much unrest and instability? It's because they're trying to control God. We can't be swayed by that. We need to be controlled by God. We need to live under his will and his purpose that he is sovereign. And that leads us to what we see in verse 10 when he says, whatever has come to be has already been named. And the idea is this, God is completely sovereign over everything that exists. And he goes on to say in verse 10, and it is known what man is and that it is now he will dispute with one who is stronger than he. The first part of this verse is the reality, it's about the naming. It, the passive Ben name, it's inferring that Solomon is inferring that God has already named everything. The Hebrew word named is one that refers to God naming or calling something. Naming it. In ancient Near Eastern culture, in the ancient culture, even up to today, you go to the, the Near East, the Middle East, you go to the Far East, when, when you name something, it gives you power or authority over that thing, right? That's kind of a, the naming of our animals in our house is a big deal. There's a big fight over who's going to name what. Because the reality is, is whoever names it, it's theirs. It's hilarious, the fight. You know, we just recently, we had two cats, and now we have eight cats. I don't know how that happened in just a matter of a month. But, and, and we didn't get eight cats because somebody had kittens. None of our cats had kittens. They, we got eight cats all of a sudden. They just, it was, it's a long story. But we got eight cats. And boy, the fight over naming them. It's like now, and in the beginning, when we first having litters of pigs, there was a fight over naming all the pigs. We've had so many litters of pigs. Now nobody fights over naming the pigs because they just come and go. But our cows are the same way. It's crazy. It's like, you know, we're going to name this steer this and this steer. I mean, but they fight over it. Naming something gives power. It gives a, an appointment of authority. The, the reality is, is, is Solomon is saying, God named everything already. In Genesis chapter 2, for the sake of time, we're not going to read it, but in verses 19 through 20, the naming is on display. God naming everything. The creator established his authority over creation. 
by naming the day, he named the night, he named the stars, he named the expanse, he named the water, he named the land, he named man. You know what's amazing is God took man and formed him from the dust of the earth. Did you know that the name for man and the name for the earth are synonymous? Yeah. Isaiah 40, verse 26, it says, lift up your eyes. I like to think about that sometimes when we're dealing with the problems of life. We just need to lift our eyes up, don't we? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. And the idea is as Isaiah is sitting there and he's looking up and he's looking at the sky because they all have little you know, lanterns. They don't have the street lights like we do. But he looks up and he sees the stars because in Israel there's very, almost never clouds like we have here. So he just lifts up and he, said, and he throws his arms out and the idea of look at these, right? He's, he's saying, look at all of this. Who created these? Right? These great big giant balls of gas that just are spinning and they never run into us. It's amazing, right? As a kid, I, I couldn't help but run into everything. I remember going to the state fair. I was out of control, right? I'm like, whoa! You know, the first time I went to the Oregon State Fair, I was like crazy and ran smack dab into the sign and just knocked me flat on my rear. I had this big old goose egg running through. Everybody's staring at me the whole time I was there. Uh, look at all these things, right? This is majestic. Who, he who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might and because of his strong and power, not one is missing. He sees all the stars, the grandeur of all the stars. He named all of them. He knows all of their name. In fact, he knows what everybody's going to name them because he's already named them. Think about that one. Man is not so brilliant that he thought of a name that God didn't already name it. When God says in this world that all things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together, that's Colossians chapter 1. We need to believe it. We need to believe it to where it dictates our life, our actions in life. The sovereign creator controls all things, including the circumstances of our life. He knew what was going to happen before it happened. But that gives us stability. Just think about it. That the fact that God knew when I was going to stub my toe. He knew when I was going to stick my finger in the socket. He knew when I was going to blow up Anissa's crafting scissors because I thought they would be great strip, you know, the strip wire, they were sharp. Don't do that. <laughs> it made a great, my kids loved it. They know, whoa, it made a big ball of blue light. <laughs> right? And he knew I was going to get in trouble. <laughs> God knows all these things. Right? And I sat there and it's like, okay, God, you knew this was going to happen. You knew I was going to have to explain this to my wife. Just take it. <laughs> Don't hide it. <laughs> I think of Job and Elihu who, who reached a similar conclusion in Job 35. And he says, so Job opened his mouth emptily or with empty words. He, he multiplied words without knowledge and 
Job was talking about Eliahu, talking about all of these things, and Job just looked at him and said, your words are just empty. Because ultimately, God is in control. Isaiah 50, uh, 45, 9 through 12, the prophet employs the figure of the potter and the clay that I talked about earlier in Isaiah 45, his clay pot to explain the futility of someone quarreling with the maker. Why are we fighting with God? Because he's the potter, right? It's like, okay, God, you made this wretched body. Yes, I abused it. <laughs> Help me be satisfied with that, right? I have to, in the honesty, I have to say, God, it's okay that my back hurts. It's okay that my neck hurts. It's okay that, right? It's not okay that I mistreated it. That's the truth, or filled it with too many donuts, but the reality is I got to recognize that God created me. My identity doesn't come from what the world says I should be. My identity comes from God who created me and gave me purpose, his purpose. Leads us to the second thing, and that is that God is completely sovereign over every man that exists. The same thing with the naming, by the way, he named man. He has ownership of every man. He is sovereign over every man. The name that he puts on all mankind, he puts everyone in their proper place for the right time. God is stronger. God is over. And in fact, when he named, you know, woman, he put a name on woman. He put a name on, and he changed Abraham's name. He changed Israel's name, or Jacob's name to Israel. And he changed all of these things. He said, this is the way it will be. In fact, in, in Pro, Philippi, or sorry, Philippians, Proverbs, let's go to Psalms. Psalm 139, right? He named, he knew our name while we were being formed. While he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew your name, right? I was like, as we were trying to figure out what to name our girls, and I was like, I was, you know, being a wisecracker. I was like, you know, let's be creative, but reality, God already named her. You know, so it doesn't matter what we name her, because God already knows. So let's just pick a name. <laughs> so it's a name that God already picked. But yeah, the reality is God knows our name. What, what we're talking about, what Isaiah and what now Solomon is talking about is man is nothing when compared to God. God is infinite in everything, and we are finite. Everything about man is known by God, and yet we try to fight with God about everything. It's futile. It's vain. It's empty. Which leads us to the third thing in verses 10 through 12, and that is God is completely sovereign, and man cannot debate it. You can try, but it doesn't do no good. One one can submit to the fact that God is sovereign, or one can argue with the fact that God is sovereign, but it will do you no good, because God is sovereign, right? But no man will ever change the fact that God is sovereign. No man will change God's plan. Man cannot, uh, man can never, we can never get out of the way of our own problems, we stumble into them daily, don't we? 
I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, to argue with God is to argue with the very power that makes it possible for you to argue at all. (laughs) I love that. I read that. I was like, yes, I'm going to say that. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, he said this. He said, uh, when about disputing with God about God's sovereignty, it's a waste of time and effort. That was just the simple. (laughs) He's just, this is the way it is. But he summarized verse 10 through 12 this way. He said, So long as I fight the hand of God, I do not learn the lesson he is attempting to place before me. The more we fight with God, the less we learn, is what he was saying. Isaiah 60, I'm sorry, Isaiah, I'm really struggling. I'm reading everything backwards this morning. I don't know why. But Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, he said, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. Declare the, ends of, the end from the beginning, and from ancient times these things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purposes. God will not change When we dispute with God about his sovereignty, we reject what God has revealed about himself. We need to realize that. We miss the lessons we can learn in the midst of anything, and we typically think emotionally, irrationally, and unbiblically. We need to stop and say, yes, God is in control. And if God is in control, what is he doing and why is he doing it? Do I need to change? Am I being emotional? Am I irrational? Am I not being biblical? And we can stop and we can keep God on his throne and we can think about it and we can give God control. And many times he leads us away from the problems. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He's the good shepherd who goes out, and he removes the stumblings, so that way we know where we need to go to fulfill his purpose. He wants to feed you. He wants to lead you, but he doesn't lead you by kicking you in the fanny. He goes out ahead of you, and he clears the path, and he says, here am I. Follow me. And yet, we decide that We know better many times and we just stumble because we hit all the rocks he cleared. And and that's to remind us, get back over. The path is over here. I cleared it. We need to realize that when we dispute with God's will, we struggle. That's why in I love that Solomon gives us reasons. There's actually a couple of if statements like, If this is true, then this is going to happen. There's this conjunction four that begins in verse 11 and 12, and it's why it's so ridiculous for us to try to dispute. There's these reasons why it's so ridiculous. And that is really, simply put this, is because such a dispute is nothing more than empty words. It's it's pointless in verse 11. The more words, the more vanity. And what is this advantage to a man? What advantage is it to us to keep arguing with God about his sovereignty? And the word futility or vanity, synonymous. God views such dispute as nothing more than just empty words. It's not gonna, we can argue with God all we want, but the reality is, is God is still going to do what God's going to do because he's above all things. 
Have you ever gotten really high over something and seen everything and like, whoa, that's why that's like this. And you know, I've, I've done that where I've criticized the way they've built the road, right? And I'm like, man, this is ridiculous. Why did they build it like this? And then I've gotten to where I've gotten to see over the road and I'm looking over the road and I'm like, and, oh, they chose the right path <laughs> because that the way I thought they should go, it was, as I looked from the top down, it looked really bad. And that's what we do with God. We say, yeah, I think that this is the way we should go. But the reality is, God is over in control. He knows what he's doing. He is holy. He is perfect. It's just empty words when we begin to argue with God. When Solomon says what advantage, what is the advantage to man, what he is meaning from the context is this, is what is the advantage of empty, meaningless talk about God? The answer is this, there is no advantage. In fact, empty, meaningless talk is a disadvantage to man because one speech can, not, one speech can become sin against God and that it'll bring God's judgment. Sometimes we fight and we... That's what you think of Paul, right? When he was Saul on the road to Damascus and when God shows up, everybody falls flat, Right? When you, when you see God, you realize he is sovereign. Saul fell flat on the ground. That means that's the same idea as trust. He, he laid down, don't kill me. You are, you are Lord. And uh, he sit there and, and Jesus said, why are you, you keep fighting against the goads? I'm prompting you to go in the right way, but you kept fighting it. And so God shows up and shows that he is sovereign. I want you to get, there's an important principle about this that I want you to understand as we think about God's sovereignty, because sometimes this fact that we say, yeah, God is above all things, but yet then we, we don't live that way, and we struggle with that. And there's, there's an important principle here that I want you to really get, and that is we need to draw from this verse, this principle, we do not ha- have to try to try and explain God's sovereignty. We don't need to have, have to try to explain it and, and, and make everybody understand and explain that God is sovereign. What God asks of us to do is believe in his sovereignty. When we put our faith and trust in who God is, he moves in our life and we follow when we truly believe. Sometimes this idea of trying to understand it gets in the way of just simply believing it. The other thing that we see in verse 12 is that because, you know, why, why do we not fight with God about his sovereignty? Why is it debating it? It's because such a debate is, is <laughs> refuted by man's life. If you just look at your life and you realize we are not sovereign, how many times do our choices land us, you know, we trip over our choices. We, we, we make so many mistakes, don't we? How many times in our life, we can just look at our life. That's what, in verse 12, it says, For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life. I like he has that. <laughs> he, just, he, just, he just tells us that our life is vain which he passes like a shadow. 
For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Our life for dis- to dispute with God about his sovereignty is an absolute waste of time. Our own lives are like a shadow. We don't know what we are doing half the time. You know, we, sometimes we don't even know. We struggle with it. But God knows. Isn't that great? And yet, sometimes we, we fight over following and trusting in God's sovereignty. I'm totally convinced I'm totally convinced that Solomon knew a key to a meaningful life was an acceptance of God's sovereignty. An old hymn in chorus, um, I haven't, I've heard it in some of the new, they've kind of ad- adapted this, uh, but an old hymn in chorus presents this theology that really does help us, and it says, I know who holds the future, and I know who holds my hand. With God, things don't just happen. Everything by Him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with problems, large or small, I trust the God of miracles. Give to Him my all. And this is the reality. When we realize this, the other reason why this is ridiculous to debate with God about are the things of our life, and this is the reality, is because it is a restful and it there is a restful peace with trusting God and not being God. When we deny and and fight with God about His sovereignty, it's like we are trying to be sovereign over ourself and control. That's the reality of the world we live in. Everybody trying to be God of their life. I can choose whatever I want, right? I can be whatever I want. And if I can't be it, you have to, you have to acknowledge that's who I am, right? We've gotten to the point where if I feel like I'm 12, then I can go to school with 12-year-olds. I would love, not anymore, but about 15 years ago, I was at my physical peak. I was probably the strongest I ever was. I was limber. I was still fast at the time, about 15 years ago. I could still run. And I was like, man, if I could just play football now, I'd be so much better. And it'd be so much more fun, right? I identify. I'm, I'm 15. I'm going to go play football at high school, right? But do we see that today? There's people fighting in court right now that they, they are identified as a 15-year-old, so they're getting to go back to school and do all the sports because they identify as. There's, there's silly things like that going on in our world. But the, the silly thing is, is, as a believer, we don't realize that we subconsciously do that often. We want what we want, and we try to make our desires over God, God's desire. We're more concerned about what we think pleases us than determining what what pleases God. What brings glory to God? What's amazing is when we stop stop trying to be God and be sovereign over our life, there is this rest, this peace, right? Philippians 4, he says, when we just give all of it, we rejoice in the Lord always. And, and when we give everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, and we literally were putting God on the throne and we're acknowledging that, he says, and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts 
and minds through Christ Jesus. I know in my head I am not God. It's not hard for me to acknowledge that. I'm like, oh, I'm not God. But sometimes deep down inside of me, sometimes the, deep down in my heart, it doesn't always get the message, right? <laughs> and I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, right? But the reality is I need to give up that control to God. You and I don't have unlimited power that is required to be in control when, even when people and things don't cooperate. And so your life becomes so frustrated. You can focus on family to bring pleasure. You can focus on wealth. You can focus on possessions. You can focus on whatever relationship you think will give you rest and contentment, and it's just going to turn out to never fill your life. It just becomes more frustrations. Don't you notice that? When, the more you buy things, the more frustration you just added to your life. Yeah, I, I realize that every time our pigs give birth, it's like, oh, they're so cute, they're so great, and then it's like, oh, there's more frustration. <laughs> More pigs breaking out of the pens. I got to say, though, when I give, give up trying to force it, it's kind of nice to wake up in the morning and drinking my coffee and see one of my pigs just laying underneath our, our plum tree eating plums. It's like, oh, I don't have to go pick them up. <laughs> and I, Anissa's like, you know that piglet keeps getting out. And, and she's like, and I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> It's just, yeah, just let it. And she goes, well, what happens if it gets eaten by a coyote? Oh, yeah, whatever. It, I, I know it happens. I'm just letting it. I, I, we've, you know, put bricks up against the fence. We've added things and wood. And it, that stupid piglet still keeps getting out. Now, it's the runt, so it should eat all the plums. It needs all the, all the food it can get. I'm amazed it hasn't grown bigger because it's eaten all but there's just something about just letting go and realizing it'll be okay. We'll just and enjoy what God has given us. It brings to mind Matthew chapter 10, which leads to Matthew 11, which Lyle beautifully uh, opened up and unpacked for us. And, and the fact is, in verse 26, it's all about Jesus said, so have no fear, right, of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And he goes into this whole thing about fear and control and, and the things going on in our life. In verse 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Think about that. Two sparrows, I mean, that doesn't, a penny is not worth that much, right? My uh, two piglets don't go for a penny, I'll tell you that. <laughs> My wife hates it whenever I you know, give major discounts to friends. She's like, <laughs> because I'm like, ah, just have the piglet. <laughs> but yeah, but no, it's like the sparrows. It's like, aren't they just two pennies? And then he goes on to say, are not one of them will, you know, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father's knowledge. God knows every one of them that falls. And he says, verse 30, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Fear not, therefore, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. Isn't that comforting? When we trust in the Lord, when we put, keep Him as sovereign Lord, there's rest, there's comfort, there's joy, there's peace. The world can't do any of those things. Man, sometimes we think life is, all these things are so important and we give so much time and effort to them. I, I realized that. I was, I got caught up into this political thing. Man, I was, and Anissa noticed, I started just, I was like, wah, like this. And I, I was like, this is so stupid. Don't people read? And, and I was like, and I was just, got so caught up. And, and, then, and then I just like, oh, I'm so emotional. I need to just stop. And I was like, no more politics. <laughs> and I just, I was like, just, I'm going to go back to the Word and study. And, and I realized I was just giving the world too much of my attention. Do you give the world so much of your attention? Satisfaction or being filled, content, being filled to the brim comes only through the obedience to His will in accepting all things He grants to us with thanksgiving and joy. Whether they're hard whether they're easy. It's not about how easy things are. Blessings don't just come through easy things. Some of our greatest blessings in life come through the hardest things we've ever faced. I am who I am because God brought me through the hard things, not because they made it easy. If God made everything easy, I probably wouldn't be a preacher. You probably wouldn't have come to the Lord and, and, and and acknowledged him and, and repented and gotten saved. Right? It was through those hard things that we've come to know the greatest things in life about God. Keep God on the throne and find rest and contentment and peace. Because aren't you more important than the things of this world? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for you have wonderfully made all things. You have purposed and planned all things from the beginning of the th our thoughts of time. And you're above time. There's never been a beginning or an end for you. And yet there is a beginning and an end for us. And, and the reality is if we haven't repented and turned from our way of thinking and, and landed before the cross and, and said, Here am I, Lord. Forgive me, I'm just a sinner. Save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sin. It was your death on the cross that paid for my sin, reconciled my accounts. Like Instead of my sinful life, you've given me your holy life that one day I can live for eternity with you. Just as Jesus was risen from the dead and he conquered death, one day we will rise and live with you for eternity. Both in heaven in the new, and then eventually in the new earth that you created just for us. Lord, what a blessing to know that you have us from start to finish. You know every time we stumble and you're there to pick us up. May we acknowledge you, that acknowledgement, that, in that endearing relationship. That special relationship of just acknowledging, yes, you are my Father who is in heaven. 
the sovereign one in control of all things. And may we find rest as we come to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. If you haven't done that with your life, I invite you to do that now. Simply repent and realize that my way of thinking, my life is just vain, it's futile, but I need to lay my life before the Lord. Repent, and and that means to turn from your sin, acknowledge his gift of salvation, of Jesus dying on the cross for you, raising again on the third day, conquering death, to offer his life to us as a payment for what we can never do. Acknowledge him. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved this morning. And, and, and allow him to become your father, adopted into the family of God. We thank you, Lord, and we look forward to our time tonight to be family and to realize that you're sovereign over all things and to enjoy just talking about the, the things of life. May you bless that time. May you bless our comings and goings today as we acknowledge you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.